looking this up. I'm looking this up. I gotta know. Okay. AMC. D- John. No, we're busy. I gotta. AMC movie. Oh wait, no. This is for the movies. AMC this is, TV. This is riveting podcast material. People want to hear this. I'm missing the new season of Better Call Saul. They say it's gonna be darker than oh, ever. Oh no, John. will I'll. I'll pray for you. <laughs> I need to know if I can get next day streaming. This is important. All right. Not all of us can be like into Mad Men yeah, now but... that it's done. Okay. Boring. <laughs> Everyone's over it. We'll get to, we'll get to that later. <laughs> no, but why? I mean, you you desperately need to watch it the next day. Why not cast your mind back to let's say ten years earlier, <laughs> if not if not even more in the more recent past? Just watch it when it's on television. Because I don't. I know that's not how the world works me. anymore. Do you think but... I still have cable? Come on, come on. No, we've we're we're millennials. We yes, both cut we the did. cord. The one cord. No, thankful. I live a cordless life. Believe it or not. Yep. John, speaking of people not watching TV yeah. anymore. <laughs> Brilliant segue. The big news, boop, 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 last week, which people have already yes. forgotten about. But the big news was a, a change in the uh, format of the Academy Awards. There was They're contemplating add a whole, adding a whole new category for most popular <laughs> film, presumably uh, voted on yes. by the people. Or by box office receipts, or I don't know what the criteria is, but it's another arbitrary way in which to get more popular movies into the Oscars so that more people will watch the broadcast. Yes, and of course, this is also part of the big conspiracy, the big Disney cabal, because they host the Oscars, they obviously put it on ABC, and ABC wants those, you Mm -hmm. know, precious, precious ratings, so it's an excuse to get more Disney films, more synergy in there, or at least that's the theory, that's the working theory. Yeah, there was another theory, well, not theory, but it's, it's something that I somewhat agree with. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody blamed Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and Another thing we can blame Harvey Weinstein for? Awesome. Absolutely. Well, no, they're more pointing to, pointing to what he represented, and that's not the terrible rapist uh, ca- casting couch culture. <laughs> it was more in the idea of these awards don't go to the best, necessarily the best film, as if anybody could determine that, but it more goes to whoever campaigned the best. Mm. So this past year, you could you could argue that oh, The Shape of Water may not have been the best film of the year, but what it certainly did was host the best campaign of the year and had Guillermo del Toro doing all these speaking engagements and sending out the most screeners so that everybody saw it, enjoyed it, and therefore voted on it. I see, I see. So that's that's really speaking to the issue, because they did try to get more popular films. This was following 2008 when WALL-E and The Dark Knight were to arguably the, the best films of 2008, but neither got included in the five Best Picture nominees. Mm. So the following year, they they expanded it to 10, you know, in in tradition of the you know first 10 years of the Oscars or something like that. And thank goodness, do we really want to live in a world where uh, Avatar wasn't nominated for Best Picture? Come on. <laughs> so that was the idea, was to get yes. more popular films. <laughs> However, in practice, what wound up happening was movies like it just it just opened up the field more for weird art films that nobody watched, like The Tree of Life or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. <laughs> oh, come on. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close was not an art film. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. It was something. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Definitely weird. Yeah. I Belong- mean, uh, yeah, but John, come on. Belonging in the best top ten best pictures of the year? I mean... Let's be honest. That's, okay. And it goes back to the kind of the campaigning and the push that, you know, it, it requires more. These awards are more about, like, pushing certain films. So if you really wanted to get, say, Black Panther into the, you know, best picture category, it's going to require Marvel to, you know, campaign and push forth that effort. Mm. Um, and it's a matter of whether they're going to. And I'm sure Disney want, doesn't want to pour all that 
money into marketing costs. They'd rather do the, the quick and easy way to uh, <laughs> get free promotion for their film for free. And they're going to just how they're going to do that is pressure the MPAS to basically say, hey, make sure you get uh, Black Panther and Avengers and all our other big releases. <laughs> Nutcracker, who knows? Get all their other big releases in the awards show, please. Our I mean, films this... get promoted and more people watch the show. So it's a win-win for us. I mean, but that doesn't really make any sense because it's not like, you know, Disney's famous for being tight-fisted about its marketing campaigns. I... <laughs> oh, John, come on. So they, they're... so now famous they for being tight-fisted? No, John, they're a corporation. They're going to be tight-fisted about everything if it could be. But again, this is the whole point, is the fact that, like, Oscars lift up these smaller movies that no one's ever heard of. So it's like, oh, really? Does Avengers need more attention? Does Black Panther really need to make more box office? Does that really need a re-release? No, John, no, oh, John you think that's the point of the Academy Awards? <laughs> is to lift up these small independent films that nobody's ever heard of? No, it's to put on a show. It's to put on a TV show and get big numbers. That's mm. what the point of the show is. Exactly, so they're gonna which do, is why, yeah, which is why I hate all these stupid fixes. Because again, the whole idea of the Oscars is so antiquated and dumb, and nothing's <laughs> gonna fix it. Like the problem is not like, well, no one's ever heard of these movies before. It's just stupid. Stop it. Cancel <laughs> the Oscars. Hashtag cancel Oscars. <laughs> Hashtag Oscars so lame. <laughs> because you're right. I mean, this is a this is a tradition that was born in the 30s for Hollywood yeah. to congratulate itself. Sorry if it can't if it can't hack it 90 years later. And it's like, it makes sense that, like, the Super Bowl became, like, a big TV-watching event, but how did the Oscars ever become a big TV-watching event? Uh, That's what uh, confuses me. Like, the fact that, you know, the ratings are dipping, I think of that more as, like, a market correction. It's like, they never should have been big ratings (laughs) bonanzas to begin with. No, and all the other award shows aren't, so... And at least those, like, let's look at the Grammys, at least there's a performative aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Here you're literally just watching people you generally never heard of like you ask the average american i bet they have no idea who guillermo del toro is and he's one of the most famous film directors on the planet and still people don't know who he is so like seeing him on stage holding a holding a golden trophy is not compelling tv and doesn't doesn't shouldn't draw uh viewers in anyway exactly and then just oh the terrible banter that they write for these people to stand up as like <laughs> acting is the most simple art but also the most complicated here are the nominees <laughs> Well, no, you you were talking about sound editing there. Okay. <laughs> Give to sound editing. What's what's our angle for this sound editing category? Uh, how about it's one of the most unsung aspects of. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, I welcome the change. Yes, anything, please, <laughs> just anything, just anything. Because okay. again, it's it's dumb. We're we're polishing turds here, people. So All why right, not I, go for it? I I don't know. I. Again, it, well, I don't like the arbitrary nature of it because if it was a fan vote, then I'd understand. Like, then you could define what the most popular movie is. Um, I got it. Let's turn it into like uh, American Idol. We'll just have four judges in front. You know, rate, viewers rate in. You know, there why you not? Go. Yeah, yeah. We we keep cutting back to you know Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Well, not not recently, but <laughs> the kind of these kind of um, Hollywood lions are always in the front row. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're cutting to them anyway. So why the exactly hell not? have them have them be like the 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 judges and yeah. you know, they'll maybe make it like a X factor just big X's <laughs> and they can veto the American people's vote because they're better yeah. than us <laughs> or they can see like extremely loud and incredible close and then just big red X <laughs> 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 what was the what was the big one last year that didn't deserve any prizes <laughs> that, uh, was I'm there anything gonna have I'm to go to... way back in my memory in my mind palace there <laughs> lion that's the movie i'm thinking oh of. there lion. it is yeah but that was like two years ago <laughs> yeah 
And speaking of Harvey Weinstein pushing, <laughs> mm, yeah, there we go, there we go. Yeah, I, I push pushing the film, not anything else. Just to clarify. <laughs> I'm sure he asked for consent first. Right. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. <laughs> yes, we talk about movies. Yes, where my twin brother John say hello, John. Hello, John. And I, Greg, will re-examine a classic film that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And then see if it earns that status, if it's really worthy of that uh, classic bona fides. Exactly. And this week, we finally got a chance to watch the classic 80s comedy, A Fish, called Wanda. Wake up! Wake up, limey fish! So, how are you going to get friendly with this lawyer? I don't know. I'll improvise. Fucking insects. I thought Englishmen didn't like women, the way they talk. No. He's straight. It's kind of cute, too, in a pompous sort of way. You got the hots for him? I'm not into necrophilia, thanks. <laughs> what is this, hump a limey week suddenly? Otto doesn't approve. Oh, yeah? Otto might get jealous. Mm. E molto pericoloso, signorina. Molto pericoloso. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, speak it, speak it! Un osso buco milanese con piselli. Melanzane, parmigiana, con spinacea. Dove la farmacia? Yes, yes, yes! No, no, no. Si, si, no, si. no, 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 not here. Talk about bonafides here, John. The, the, the gang is back. The Monty Python gang is here. <laughs> well, at least two of them. Yeah. With two Yanks. <laughs> oh, what kind of hijinks are we going to get into here? <laughs> Do you think, like, I don't know, the whole, like, kind of culture clash aspect, I feel like is kind of really underplayed in this movie. Like, going into it, I expected that to be well, kind of, like, Because that would be obvious, wouldn't it? I mean... I guess so. I, that's what. That's the first thing I was expecting, is, like, you know, like, the Americans were going to be boorish, and the and the British people were going to be repressed and too prim and proper. Like, but mm-hmm. that that that's again too obvious and stereotypical, I think. And I'm glad the the way in which it did play out is is much funnier in 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 the in the final result. Yeah, should I we, mean, should we just put this out there? I mean, this movie made me laugh. Yeah, no, like again, by the very standards of comedy, yes, this movie made me laugh, which is why it's yeah. so much harder to be critical of comedy because it's like <laughs> I laughed, I had that guttural reaction, therefore yeah. it succeeded. So yes, this movie made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was kind of like a little disappointed in is the fact that I, besides like maybe that kind of lightly treat, that light dusting of like Americans and, you know, British people interacting and oh boy, do they hate each other. Uh, this movie doesn't really have a lot to say. doesn't really have like a lot on its mind. It's, it's a heist film, essentially. Yeah. And it's just kind of a madcap caper, which is fine, which is fine. But it's like, if we're going to elevate this to kind of like the higher echelons of, you know, classic 80s comedy, it'd be nice if it, it stood for a little bit more. The, the movie I kind of kept going back to as I was watching this, probably because of the presence of Jamie Lee Curtis, was, like, Trading Places. Uh, this oh, yeah. gave me, like, a lot of, like, Trading Places vibes uh, because it's, you know, madcap capers, a lot of money involved, a lot of kind of, like, misunderstandings. and mm-hmm. um, Whereas that movie, though, I think is funnier and, again, has more kind of on its mind about socioeconomics. Whereas this movie, yeah, it's funny, it's madcap, it's caper, but I don't know, I just... Why, why, like, I and I will say probably a bit more emotional stakes. I think that's the one thing yeah. that the two writers of this movie, one of whom is John Cleese, mm-hmm. um, again, the great Monty Python alumnus, 
uh, one thing we needed was a little bit more kind of like emotional investment in the story. I, I'm glad you mentioned Trading Places because there's a great scene wherein uh, Dan Aykroyd becomes destitute. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, Jamie Lee, he runs into Jamie Lee Curtis like just begging this uh, poor woman like please help me, mm-hmm. and then she says like oh your hands are soft you know you've been a little <laughs> fancy boy your whole life you don't know what real work or destitution is like so again like there's a reason for her to feel sympathetic for him whereas here the way the kind of emotionally like you never know where you are like emotionally with any of these characters I mean they're all kind no. of yeah. they're all kind of crazy in a way uh, th- I think we should start with the. John Cleese is, I guess, nominally the star. I mean, everybody kind of gets equal screen time, but mm-hmm. I think the star of the show is John Cleese as this kind of put-upon barrister, excuse mm-hmm. me, lawyer in, in non-Queens. In British speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he, he plays Archie Leach, who, and I kind of appreciate the fact that he wrote the film and decided to star in it, but also it's not a very kind of... Uh, attractive no, role, it's not vain. Say. No, he's not vain. <laughs> yeah, it's at not all. vain at all. He's kind of he's kind of a wuss. He's a flop. He's yeah, a flop. Well, that's um, and that's what speaks to the film's quality is in these early scenes. He's, he comes home and his wife and daughter are going on about their own lives. He's like, "I won the case today." And <laughs> they don't really like care. immediately. Yeah, immediately you see where he's coming from and what his motivation could be to break out of this, you know, kind of turgid family life. Mm-hmm. So that works, but it's kind of the rest of it, you know, the the mad caper aspect of it. You, you don't know where the rest of it's going because he gets involved with Jamie Lee Curtis, who's part of this cabal of jewel thieves. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the film is that we barely get any planning. It's literally just like, <laughs> it's it's just one scene just so we can establish our characters and then, bam, cut right to the robbery mid-progress. And I'm yeah. just, I love that choice. Because again, it does, it's not a very, it's a smash and grab job. It's not very complicated. This is Ocean's Eleven. So yeah. we meet this cabal of jewel thieves. There's four of them. Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Klein is Otto. Greg, <laughs> let's talk about Kevin Klein's performance. Describe yes. Kevin Klein's performance. <laughs> uh, he's doing the world's best Robin Williams impression. <laughs> It's so nuanced. I, like, you know, it's like he's so stoic, but yet every single frame just captures like a million faces. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, I don't want to be critical when I say it's just a Robin Williams impression because damn, he doesn't do a good job. I, I don't know if I'd go as far as Robin Williams. It's definitely very manic, but it's very theatrical. He's popping yeah. all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you do get to see, like, I won't say shades or whatever, but the mugging that he does, like, mm-hmm. uh, again, A-plus job there, because between being absolutely ecstatic at getting to bang, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> to going almost aggro when somebody calls him stupid, to the kind of, um, when when she does become involved in, in John Cleese's character, the, the massive Buster Keaton-esque frown that he has. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a very physical performance, too, because yeah. he's, like, jumping around, you know, like, doing silly walks. And that, that doing, like, yeah, that, peas act practically. Like, yeah, we like, didn't, we didn't need all that the, the, the theatricality, I don't think. But okay, <laughs> it's a little over the top. Yeah, but again, speaking of where characters, like you do understand, I think, it, giving characters simple motivations, like his jealousy, like not wanting to see his, um, AK or sister, quote unquote, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like be with anybody else. Like again, you can understand it, or at least you can understand the human behavior, even if the circumstance does because does become absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I heard moaning. I was worried. I was faking it, you stupid jerk. Don't ever call me stupid. And I'm not jealous. Then leave. Okay. It's a nice place. Don't touch his dick. His wife, his wife. Goodness sake, get off to bed. 
hope there isn't any ice. Champagne. Ah! What's the matter? What are you doing? Champagne, dear, to welcome you home. Um, let me pour you a glass. Whose is the car? The car? Blocking the drive. Uh, there you are, dear. Cheers. Well, nice to see you again. Um, how is the how is the opera then? It finished early, didn't Whose it? Whose car is it? Mine. <clears throat> it's a beauty, isn't it? Where did I leave my drink, Archie? Ah. Who is this? Don't you know? How do you do, Mrs. Leach? I'm uh, Harvey Manfred Jensen. I'm uh, with the CIA. CIA. That's correct, ma'am. Um, yeah. So he's pretending to be Jamie Lee Curtis's brother, but it mm -hmm. turns out they're actually lovers. Yes. And Jamie Lee Curtis's character, we should mention, her whole shtick is that she's kind of like a femme fatale. She's a honeypot. Yeah. She uses her feminine wiles to basically trick people and kind of get all the machinations in place. Yeah. So Spe the, Speaking of which, they're going to... Their plan is, the reason they're pretending to be brother and sister, is because they're going to cut out everybody else in the dual heist. Yes. So we should and probably mention the other two characters, even though they get considerably less screen time. Mm -hmm. There's George, who's the one who gets pinched. They call the cops on him. He ends up, but he hides the money first. Yeah. So they need to figure out where the money is. He doesn't really get a lot of screen time, and he's definitely the least funny. Um, <laughs> well, at, not the least funny. I mean, the least uh, the least manic character. Let's let's say. Yeah, let's, he's the one. He's the one who has to play the straight man and all this just nonsense. And then there's uh, Michael Palin as Ken, who uh, <laughs> I didn't like this portrayal. It's not a very... Uh, he has a stutter. That's basically his character. Yeah. <laughs> and not a very nuanced portrayal of this disability, let's say. No, no, absolutely not. It's like it, it's like constantly played for laughs, the fact that he can't speak, which is frankly insulting. But then yeah. also he overcomes it at the end. It's like, uh, yeah, like yeah, well, he finds the confidence to overcome yeah. it. Which... Oh, God, it's so, yeah, it's so insulting. It's like, I'm kind of surprised that, like, speech impediment folks don't, like, rise up and protest this movie. <laughs> well, I believe they did at oh, the really? time. Okay. Yeah, I saw this in the IMDb trivia. Who knows if it's actually true, but mm -hmm. um, a lot of people did voice their complaints about the portrayal of someone with a speech impediment, and so Michael Palin did use his, his money to actually establish a school. Oh, for okay. um, yeah, people with this, but yeah, as a as a mea culpa, but yeah, it feels like I won't go as far to say it's it's not as offensive as say brownface in like the twenties, but mm -hmm. it's it's definitely something of a relic that uh, you'll never see in a comedy today unless it's on a Netflix show that they're burying <laughs> in late August. Um, hey, they released a trailer for it, so they they obviously had some confidence in it, but yeah, yeah, and. Um, I don't really know what else to say about his character besides the fact that he's an animal lover. Well, yeah, I guess if we could speak to maybe the quality of the comedy, it is founded in kind of, understand, like I said, motivation. So mm -hmm. where his plot line really goes, and this is kind of the, the most madcap storyline that we're following here, mm -hmm. is um, he's tasked with killing a key witness um, mm -hmm. who's an old lady. So don't worry. Again, if she dies, nobody cares. <laughs> She's also kind of a bitch, so exactly. So you won't care if she if she croaks. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the the hysterical part of this is that he always winds. She has three dogs, and every time he kind of contrives this accident so that she'll she'll get killed, um, he ends up killing one of the dogs instead, just yeah. mortifying him even more. And of course, this is set up with with the initial robbery. 
they mm-hmm. almost end up crashing into her. That's how she witnesses it. And yeah. his like main concern was not the fact that they got away. It's like, did we kill one of the dogs? He was like yeah. really concerned that they killed the dogs. Again, he's an animal lover. He's the one yeah. who actually owns the titular fish of Wanda. Oh yeah, we haven't even gotten to the <laughs> the fish yet, or why this. And yeah. my biggest my biggest complaint in the movie is the poster, which has every major cast member lined up, <laughs> mm-hmm. and in a police lineup. But there is a representation of what I will say is a pretty voluptuous fish lady, which sadly was not in the movie. I was promised voluptuous fish lady. All right, this awoken something in Greg. I, yes, okay. after seeing they the shape of water. This, yes, they should call this blue balls the movie. How dare you put this on your poster and not give me the sexy fish lady? Come on. I thought maybe like the fish so a safety deposit box key is like becomes like a major MacGuffin that keeps getting passed around to people. I thought yeah. the key would like end up in the fish so that maybe like they have to worry about where the fish is or something like that. But no, like yeah. Wanda the fish doesn't really play any part until the very end where uh Kevin Klein's character basically threatens uh poor Ken with yeah. eating the fish when he's trying to torture him for information. Like that's and it's kind of funny that it's called a fish called Wanda cuz I, I don't know. I I think there's a million other titles they could have given it. Like it's a mad, Such mad. As? It's a it's a it's a rubbish, rubbish, rubbish world. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it Oi Wanker the movie. <laughs> Poppycock the movie. Because yeah, because <laughs> every character is essentially a wanker, sort of. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, that is maybe one of the complaints you can kind of lodge against this movie. No one's really truly likable. But uh, you know, you yeah. all stand. Where they, except for Jamie Lee Curtis's kind of heel turn at the end. That one I didn't really buy. <laughs> this, yeah, this. I guess if we we spoke to all the the qualities of all the characters, except for the most underwritten part, which is Jamie Lee Curtis, because she does somewhat fall for this barrister. Like initially, it's because I need to get close to this barrister because he'll know where the loot is. Mm-hmm. But they do develop this romance initially. It's like a cele- it's like a celebrity admi- it's like a celebrity admirer relationship, mm-hmm. or at least that's Where what she pretends like, it is. Yeah, like again, she she asks for his autograph just so she can figure out who he is, and then when she mm-hmm. picks up, that's who you are, you know, and then yeah. she pretends to be impressed. And like, oh, it, like don't you remember? Like, uh, I was very proud of this case, and she obviously has no idea what she's talking about because <laughs> exactly. she doesn't even know who he is. Exactly. But where the romance goes is that um, he her character her defining quality is that she's really turned on by foreign tongues exactly languages people (laughs) (laughs) and like that's kind of and that's kind of enough for her to eventually fall for archie like yeah it's it's kind of strange because again like she's a honeypot she's like she's using her feminine wiles to woo him and get the information she wants out of him yeah um and also and you feel yeah, and you feel happy for this foppish, you know, lawyer because mm. he's breaking out of the doldrums of his home life. So you feel for him, but yeah, you don't know exactly what she what she gets out of this. <laughs> no, exactly. And then, I mean, obviously she has a kind of semi-abusive relationship with Otto, Kevin Klein's character. Mm. I mean, again, it's comedy, so it's not really that serious. But again, she can't really put up with his kind of crazy antics, his jealousy, because he is so jealous. I guess that's the other, <laughs> like, again, he's very mature. He's very... Um, easily offended, emasculated. Like, the other big character yeah. flaw about um, Otto is that when people claim he's stupid, he obviously yeah. reacts in a very over-the-top manner. You pompous, stuck-up, snot-nosed, English, giant, twerp, scumbag, fuck-faced, dickhead, asshole! How very interesting. 
You're a true vulgarian, aren't you? You're the Bulgarian, you fuck! Now apologize! What, uh, me to you? Apologize. All right, all right, I apologize. You're really sorry? I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. You take it back? I do. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice. And I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family. And I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. And also, he has these pretensions of being intellectual because he reads Nietzsche and <laughs> Aristotle and other stuff. But he doesn't Even quite. He's not, yeah. yeah, he's not absorbing it really. No, he's not quite getting it. Uh, one of my one of the lines that got me the most was he was uh, in a pose, like a meditation pose. He's like Buddhists did this before they went into battle. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis comments, "What kind of Buddhists are you reading about?" <laughs> yeah. It's like for him, he, he he picks up like the minor details, but the way he puts them together, clearly he misses the point. <laughs> yeah. And that said, I mean, it does get a little repetitive because there's a setup where Jamie Lee Curtis is courting John Cleese's character, mm-hmm. but Otto's jealousy can't prevent him from like tagging along. And then there's like it gets a little repetitive at this point where they they start you know getting it on, mm-hmm. and then John Cleese interrupts because he doesn't want another man's hands on her on his woman. Yeah, exactly. Or like so that. Or uh, Wendy will ra- randomly come home. Wendy is uh, Archie's wife, mm-hmm. who's just like this shrill, horrible waspish. Even though again <laughs> culturally it doesn't make sense, she's just like this woman who's just like they, he clearly married her for the money. Like they're in yeah. a loveless relationship. The funniest scene, definitely by far, is the sex scene. Yeah, <laughs> I to give the movie credit because it was dragging a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a great cross. Uh, we get a great uh, Godfather-esque cross-cutting scene. <laughs> Again, reminiscent of Coppola's best work. <laughs> it's where follow, following the heist, um, Otto and Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Oh, Wanda, that's her name. Yes. <laughs> Um, they're on a high and, and begin the and begin to fall into the grace of sexual passion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at the same time, we cut back to John Gleese's character, who is literally just studying a brief in a separate bed from his wife. <laughs> yes, it's like a it's like a, a Lucy and Desi situation. They're in separate beds. <laughs> that's how that's how loveless their marriage is. Exactly. And whenever Wendy says something to him, it's always like clearly clinical. It's like, can you talk to our daughter Portia about plastic surgery? And he's barely paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, again, the the most manic. This is where the manic energy of Kevin Klein really comes in. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> just the, and that subtle little cross eye at the at the at the height of sexual. Oh, <laughs> classic '80s trope. Someone cross eyed when they're you know have come to climax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have come to Kevin Klein max. Mm, damn. Yeah, <laughs> that was a C plus effort. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention before I missed it was what what is with Otto and Wanda's wardrobes? <laughs> of uh, John, it was the eighties. Nobody yeah. knew what they were doing. <laughs> okay, I mean, was it again like trying to comment on that whole culture clash thing? Like everyone in Great Britain is wearing these very like subdued gray clothes, and they're wearing. Well, I mean, I guess Otto's wearing all black, but he's wearing, like, this trench coat that could fit around an elephant. And, like, a black biker's cap. Like, what? what is with his outfit? And then a tiny little ascot. <laughs> uh, that's, I, and I think it's the only costume he has throughout the movie, right? Yeah, he doesn't really change clothes much. 
Yeah, so Wanda, I, meanwhile, uh, changes clothes well, <laughs> every other scene. Well, she's trying to portray, I, I think it's an extension of the character, John, oh. if you ask me. Because Wanda does dress a little elegantly when the her costume changes with whatever whatever role she's playing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Otto, Otto is the villain of the piece, John. So, yeah, of I course, his, his black identical outfits, like, you know, reflect that. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't read too much into it. <laughs> well, again, like going back to the whole outfit like again his cap really bothered me but you're right maybe that's the point he wears the black hat because he is the villain mm-hmm. but also the cap is like small and tight and loose and kind of dorky looking which again goes back to the whole idea of him is which he clearly thinks oh like way too highly of himself yeah i'm sure it's like a nietzsche thing you know <laughs> not not that nietzsche was a nihilist or something like that but you know it, it definitely reflects a a more uh gothic kind of you know darker persona mm-hmm or at least, uh, and maybe intellectual persona. Got it. Maybe that's the point of it. Um, I will say, while I'm speaking on the subject of dark, I did love the movie's tone in that it never did become a dark comedy. No, no, um, no, no. It's but, it's but despite the fact that you know Kevin Klein's character could literally kill anyone at any point, no yeah. one really dies, and no one's really in any danger, which I do kind of oh, appreciate. Yeah. yeah, it's because I thought one because this is a madcap adventure it's a crime mm-hmm. so you think it'll escalate from it it'll and get worse and worse for everybody involved mm-hmm. and i thought that's what ha- what would happen when otto and wanda find themselves in archie's home and his wife and daughter come home mm-hmm. and again his archie's wife being such a shrill ninny <laughs> i thought you know they would have like inadvertently or intentionally you know killed her and then suddenly it doesn't become just about the loot it also becomes about covering up a murder yeah that's true and thankfully thankfully that doesn't happen because again it would have made you feel just a little bit icky inside maybe yeah like the the devaluing of human life but that that never happens in the movie including at the climax the the only oh the only point where we really approach danger is uh Otto is chasing after John Cleese it looks like he has him cornered um, but Michael Palin's character comes in, you know, with a steamroller, <laughs> seeking revenge. Yes. <laughs> and he somehow manages to squish him into concrete. He gets his foot, yeah. feet stuck in concrete so he can't get away. It's yeah. very Austin Powers-esque, let's say, yeah. except that he manages to survive. And we get one last little, like, <laughs> Kevin Klein peering through the window, you know, powerless, <laughs> except it's off the plane. Yeah. And he gets blown and covered, off. Yeah, covered in dried, yeah, every... <laughs> I like how it, I, again, it saved I its I would... most ridiculous kind of set piece for the very end. <laughs> it escalates yeah. nicely. I thought reminiscent of the ending of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just like you know, just saving our most ridiculous gag for last. <laughs> exactly. Revenge! <laughs> it's Kikakikin! Kika coming to Kikakik kills me! <laughs> Are you gonna Kikakik catch me, Kikakikin? <laughs> now, where was I? Oh, yeah. Shit. Stupid fucking limey cement. <clears throat> Ken! Ken! Wait, wait, Ken! Kenny! Ken- May I call you Kenny? Remember Wanda! I got the deal of a lifetime. 50-50, you and me. What do you say? Okay, okay, okay. 60-40. That's my final offer. Revenge! Wait, I got an idea. You take it all. Yeah. Here's my boarding pass. Ken! I'm gonna... I'm gonna... I'm gonna... Can't kill you. Wait, okay, fine. Fine, Ken. Come at me. Give me your best shot. Go on, Ken. 
you don't have the guts. Admit it. Okay, you have the guts. Good. Wait. Yes. All right, I'm sorry I ate your fish, okay? I'm sorry. I mean, I guess I, I I misspoke. There is one death in the movie. The old lady that he is trying to bump off. Oh, that's right. Does yeah. die, but she dies of a heart attack because yeah, once again, her last like, dog is dead, she can't you know yeah find the and again the, the yeah the the setup of the character is also she she sucks so you don't mind <laughs> exactly <laughs> old bitch with her Yorkies gross yeah die already are they already? yeah. <laughs> Well, John, I want to speak to the, this movie trademark, and that is the, I don't know if it was a stunning upset, but Kevin Klein actually taking home the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Mm, I did not I, know that this they, won an Oscar. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. The movie's main accolade, you know, 30 years later. Um, I, I just wanted to ask, John, is it is it deserving of that? Um, I, again, it's a very interesting performance. Uh, I won't say it's great. <laughs> I mean, what are, you, what are you saying about Martin Landau's performance in Tucker, the man, colon, the man in his dreams? Um, again, I'm a, I'm a Philistine in these matters. I've never even heard of this movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Wait, I think you, it's... You've I never think it's heard a... of the great biopic of Preston Tucker, the, the um, famed Elon Musk of his day, who had just had an idea for a, a car company, but it flamed out you know, <laughs> because of the big corporate giants at the time. Anyway, no, okay. sorry, that's neither here nor there. All right, fair enough. No, no, yeah. no, okay, here's the thing. I think Kevin Klein's performance fits the movie's tone very well. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's a great performance. Because, again, it's just yeah. it's too goofy. It's just a little too out yeah. there. Yeah. Same with, I think, everybody else involved. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is the problem with comedy, and especially a movie like this that's so light, that has nothing really to say mm-hmm. about, let's say, class or or cultural differences between the UK and the US. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't really have anything to say about that, so it's not like he's representing something. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, besides just boorish Americans. Ugh, yeah. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> no, John, he reads Nietzsche. Fellows, he's take a break. <laughs> Mrs., I think you understand each other. <laughs> it's my, that's my British version of fellas, take a break, ladies. Yeah. Bitches leave. <laughs> That's the American version. Yes, bitches leave. <laughs> but I, I again, it, if we want to boil it down to just consumer advice, will the movie make you laugh? Yes. Yes. Uh, will it stick with you? Maybe forty-eight hours later. I don't know. It depends what what the news cycle is. So um, clearly, it's stuck with us for the past thirty years. So <laughs> this actually, ironically, we are actually doing that. I, I was just looking at the IMDb page, and I realized this movie literally came out 30 years ago, almost to the day. It came out August nice. 5th. Nice. Yeah. So you're welcome, uh, MGM. Where's where's all Drawing the retrospectives it. on this? Everyone's giving retrospectives about the fugitive for turning 25, and all like no one right. remembers Fish Called Wanda. What? What's going on? Uh, 30, 25 is a, the silver anniversary. It's oh, a, it's a little okay. different. Yeah. Oh, okay. And also, it's a comedy, so again, you can't be, you can't be too kind of high-minded about it. Did it make you? Exactly. La- did it make us laugh? Yes. So therefore, approved. Yeah. And as you said, it's not commenting on any grander theme or message or anything. Mm. Whereas the fugitive, obviously <laughs> filled with portent. So much great subtext in there. Yeah. Our criminal justice system is it broken? Yeah. <laughs> Can a white man succeed the, in America? Yes. The the, the sophisticated city slicker uh, Richard Kimball <laughs> and the country boy Samuel Gerard. <laughs> oh, 
Good times. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we maybe did a little something extra with the fugitive? Mm. Absolutely. Ooh. Ooh. We're such Let's, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, I think you and I both enjoy it, so yes. we can recommend it in our signature section, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Oh, Greg, you coquettish mm. fiend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get a little spicy, John. Let's bring the lights down. Yes. Ooh. Mm. But Daisy, a little Italian. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's something else I, we didn't really mention. He's not really speaking Italian. He's just saying a jumble yeah, of Italian just, words like yeah. mozzarella. <laughs> and I think he, because Kevin Klein can speak French, and I'm not sure why John Cleese insisted that he that he speak Italian. Just say a mozzarella, <laughs> gabagool. <laughs> well, so eventually she gets turned on by Russian. So maybe it's something about you know oligarchs and. Uh, totalitarian <laughs> states that gets her excited. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, France didn't have any of that. Trust me. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. The French Revolution was just a bunch of petty peasants. Who yeah, were like, exactly. Oh, I'm tired of living in dirt. Yeah. And they they real they elected Napoleon the Third because he was a man of the people. Of course, of course. Yeah. Anyway, anyway we're distracted. That's from enough for history. Yeah, that's enough for history corner. <laughs> if people weren't turned on yet, now they are with our talk of Napoleon III. But Greg, what do you have for spotlight? Well, I want to speak to something that has a, a little bit more recent history. Okay, um, John, this TV show hit like a a meteorite crashing into Earth, and everyone declared it's the golden era of television. Of course, of course. At the time, I was dismissive, because I thought, you know, that, that, what are you talking about? The independent, the American independent film scene is still going great. <laughs> the year's 2007, we're going to have movies like There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men, you know, ad infinitum, forever. <laughs> Nothing will ever change. <laughs> well, it turns out, you know, circumstances did change. Um, I'm, there's less and less independent entertainment geared towards adults than, the, than there was uh, 10 years ago, or 11 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to dive back into the golden era of television and start watching a show called Mad Men. Excellent. And it turns out, yes, and it turns out those people who said, hey, this show was great 11 years ago, they were right. It is great. <laughs> now, Greg, what, what brought you to this? Why did you decide now is the time to revisit this, this movie that basically welcomed in the golden era of television? Well, for one thing, it was thankful to I'm thankful for YouTube and their algorithms. <laughs> um, they asked Al Gore for the right rhythms, and what they did, wow, what those rhythms wow. brought me. No, we can't let that slide. Al Gore and his rhythms. <laughs> well, I stole it. I stole it. Oh, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> I had to call you out on that. Credit, yeah, credit Netflix for that one, too, because that's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. But anyway, <laughs> basically YouTube saying, hey, if you like these, maybe you'll like some scenes from Batman, huh? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, okay, sure, these are only two to three minutes. I can, I can, I can absorb this. I mean, and uh, I thought, okay. Uh, I mean, John Hamm's in both, so obviously there's a lot of crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I, I sampled some of these scenes. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling the, the stakes and the portent, and it turns out when you dive into the show, yeah, that's exactly what you get. I mean, it is somewhat of a workplace soap opera and, you know, divides between or divides time between the this uh madison avenue advertising agency in the 60s and this home life and this completely culture then this culture that's completely alien to me (laughs) (laughs) namely uh you know drinking about eight hard liquors a day and uh openly cheating on your wife and uh the the mistreatment of uh black people also (laughs) also comes in to the fore um even in a a, uh, progressive city like new york city Mm. but in any event i really do like how 
um, I won't say I won't say placid, but I do enjoy a TV show where I don't feel like somebody's going to die every like 15 minutes. <laughs> like my palms aren't sweaty watching the show, which I do appreciate. And then, but also there are that said, there are also stakes involved. And what I really like is how much importance they can put behind um, something like the Lucky Strike account, or you know, poor put upon Peggy Olson, you know, when she's mm-hmm. trying to prove herself on on this particular client. So again, I I feel like that kind of like identification that we can feel like with our normal work lives and home lives. Like I think that's what every critic and viewer took home when they watched the show, mm-hmm. um, and why it now like like all the great shows of the golden era whether it be game of thrones or lost or whatever like now take up residency in our mind and we are willing to you know read recaps of the show we just watched on a sunday night right people need to know they need a place for discussion absolutely yes so uh, again that's what that's what i really admire if if i will have a criticism i i feeling that it's losing the juice following season one i haven't completed the whole series yet but season one i mean even the pilot i mean how many pilots like draw you in immediately like every pilot is like a like a rough un- unpaved road so <laughs> until the, until it finally smooths out and then you have a highway of possibility um <laughs> and if i can mix any more metaphors <laughs> i would say uh you know uh season one of Mad Men is just smooth sailing but from there i mean i i could see we're kind of like getting into maybe a, a bit of a few different directions i mean characters are obviously splitting off and going their own ways or you know just we're losing them all together so uh, we'll see if it can, you know, keep up its uh, its its energy in the in the latter seasons. But you know, I, I will say, you know, it turns out everybody was right. I'll I'll give, I'll give everybody credit for that. Okay. Um, it's it's deserving of every accolade and and uh, positive notice that it's received. So, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry if I'm late to the train, but <laughs> I'm finally on board, gang. Hey, who wants to watch the show they watched eight years ago? I just saw me. Heat, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about it now. <laughs> Classic Gafkin. Go. (laughs) John, is that what you're going to recommend? I mean, he has a new special out now. No, no, actually, I was I was alone to one for his last special. He's a little too uh, he's a little too manic in it. Like I go to I go to Jim Gafkin for the evenness, and he's just he's going so fast. I can't keep up. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, he's got to keep up with the pace of the times. I guess that's true, and it is his most personal. He's talking about his wife almost dying of cancer. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, well, also, I mean, yeah, I guess we're going to have to go back to those classic bits from 2005, you know. <laughs> we should just be grateful that, you know, he's had a, such a long and distinguished comedy career. Of course. So, yes. Yeah. So we don't we don't mean to be smirching like, Jim Gaffigan's done. <laughs> no, he's not. Of course not. <laughs> Write him off. <laughs> he's Again, when you start from such a strong place, you can't help but be disappointed maybe with their newer stuff. So I can't, I can't, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm only human, okay? Gosh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but no, Greg... I, I, for Spotlight today, I wanted to recommend something pleasant. That's still murder-adjacent. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Did, did Jim Gaffigan murder somebody? No, or? no. <laughs> Sadly, no. Oh, the headlines. Imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, thanks to Netflix, we, uh, me and my partner got a chance to catch up on a great BBC show. Well, I won't call it great, but it's, it's pleasant okay. viewership. Death in Paradise. All right. Yes. I've never heard of this. I generally, you know... I'm completely at a loss, so go ahead, explain. Uh, it's basically Murder, She Wrote, but on a Caribbean island. Nice. Yes. All right, I'm down. Wait, wait. But, John, who can match the wonderful, <laughs> I'll say intensity, <laughs> the passion, the fire of Angela Lansbury? Who, I ask you, John? Well, who? no one can match that. But if you're looking for yeah. a pleasant little weekly murder mystery that's wrapped up in, you know, 50 minutes, then there's little else that you can ask for. 
especially because okay. it takes place in a Caribbean paradise. Uh, <laughs> Basically, I also just want to, you know, point out the the uh, the contradiction between pleasant murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! These procedurals exist for one reason: to give us order uh, to know. our lives, to yeah. prove that justice <laughs> might actually exist. <laughs> yeah, and if we can set it on the backdrop of a beautiful paradise, then why not? Yeah, absolutely. What also it also exists to be kind of a fish out of water thing. The the premise of it is is that a uh, British detective is kind of forced into this assignment way off the beaten path on this uh, fictional island of St. Marie. And uh, basically, he does not adjust well because, you know, he's British. He's uptight. He wears a suit every day. He wants Earl Grey tea. But, you know, it's like 1,000 degrees out. Oh, oh, sorry, uh, 50 degrees Celsius out. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) he's very uncomfortable in his new surroundings. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I mean, and the other thing, the other weird thing about this show is that apparently the shooting schedule is, like, atrocious. Like, they have to spend, like, six months on this island to shoot a season. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. I mean, can, can we send them support? Can we get UNICEF to help them out? I mean... Well, so because of that, the cast rotates quite a bit. It's We're seven seasons in, and they're on basically, like, their third cast. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But, uh, wait, does the star remain the same? No, or, no, no, no. They're, they're on their third... They're shuffling them around like criminal minds. Exactly, basically. <laughs> they're on their third, like, main British detective. <laughs> okay. Um, the first one was uh, D.I. Poole played by Ben Miller, and he was definitely the most thoroughly unlikable one. <laughs> uh, again, he's the one in the stuffy suit. He always wants Earl Grey tea. He was definitely, like, the most British-British of them. Um, eventually, he was kind of, like, he was asked to leave the show, so they wrote him off, and he, he was replaced by D.I. Goodman, who's play, oh, played by uh, Chris Marshall. Um, he's kind of, like, he's more affable. He's more kind of, like, accustomed, like trying to get into the whole island lifestyle, but he's kind of a goofball. He's got this kind of, like, Stephen Merchant lankiness to him, so okay. that's kind of, like, played for laughs. The, the recurring joke with him is that he's always trying to take notes, but he has no paper, so all his police notes are on, like, matchbooks and playing cards and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, current, in the current season that we just watched, season seven, uh, the current D.I. is Jack Mooney, I don't, just a classic Irishman. Ooh. <laughs> okay. And he Played ca- by... Oh, played by... Um, Ardold O'Haron? <laughs> okay. John, you mentioned three names. I have no idea. I can't put anything. I can't come close to anything. Greg, this is... You can, you can make up any... Yeah. Oh, now he's played by Archie, uh, Archie Chamberlain. You remember. <laughs> he played he played Lord um, Chevalier in um, season five of, of um, Downton Abbey. You remember? He was on that one episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> Greg, he was in the West End for like a couple years, you know, cutting his teeth. There. Greg, come on, this is a BBP, uh, BBC procedural. It's it's a showcase for all these British actors you've never heard of. Okay, no, okay. <laughs> there's no all stars right. in here. There was like the most recognizable actor I saw was like the guy who plays the detective on like Sherlock <laughs> for like one episode, and then the okay. rest of the actors are just a stable of local, you know, actors in the Caribbean. So okay, and, so oh, so they got local talent. Yeah, it's a lot of local talent. Okay, nice. And I mean, come on, like, if you're like me and you like procedurals, how boring does it get after a while when you hear, Chief, I ran the phone records. Improve <laughs> it vastly with Chief, I ran the phone records. Turns out there was two outgoing calls. <laughs> okay, <that's, laughs> I'm going to put a stop to that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so that's the other kind of interesting setup of the show is the fact that they, they're on this very remote island, and so when these policemen get here from London, they're always from London, they have to kind of acclimate to not just the pace of life, but also what they have to work with in terms of resources. Like, they're used to getting, like, CSI on the scene when they don't have that, so they really have to only get away with their gumption. And 
Mm. <laughs> or hunches. <laughs> or hunches, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, if you're if you're bored to death like me from like American procedurals on CBS, where it's like everyone's like, I'm a I'm an expert in crypto linguistics, but also rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to know that they have to like rely on actual wits as opposed to like I just ran the through the computer. It find an algorithm that tracked him, and we found him. He's over here. Um, <laughs> Sure, sure, John. So obviously you like um, like white man's, you know, justice. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and of course, it's the classic kind of like just following their intuition rather than data and facts. <laughs> exactly. This is what this is what gets this is what puts poor people in prison, bro. Okay, <laughs> all right. No, I mean, I just want to let you know you're a monster. No, ninety percent of the time it's wealthy like Br- white British folks on the island. And okay. Someone, oh, oh, someone okay. got murdered on their vacation. You know that kind of thing. And they're always Excellent. corrupt. Okay. They're always like some kind of backhanded deal or something like that, you know. Okay. Yeah. All right. So good. So we're setting up a true black nation, which, uh, <laughs> I, which I support. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Should be a reverse America. All white people. In prison. <laughs> I love it. It's our turn to be a statistic. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, good show. <laughs> yes. Good show. <laughs> Again, just kind of like classic, easy breezy procedural. Like it's so, it's so predictable. Every at the third act, there's you know, it's always like, oh, I don't think we're gonna catch this guy. I think he's gotten away for good. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna make gumbo tonight. Gumbo, gumbo. Like there's always gumbo, just yeah. one <laughs> one innocuous word that always like lights the spark in his head, and it's like, ah, I figured it out. And instead of just arresting the person, he has to gather everyone into the accusing parlor. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what these mysteries are, John. I mean, exactly. Very Agatha Christie-esque. It's like, here's how yeah. I solved it. Great. Yes, I love it. Okay, I'm gonna check this out. I love it. <laughs> I mean, you can jump right into like season seven because again, that's the one that focuses on the Irish detective. He's got that yeah. Columbo thing going because he's so affable, <laughs> you know. He, he he puts you at ease, and then he and then he gets you. I notice you rub your palms every time you're lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm surprised though. I mean, BBC show going on for seven seasons. I mean, I know this doesn't sound like the British television industrial complex at all. Well, again, the level of writing is like again, murder she wrote, so it's not very hard. Uh, all right, it's I, just about finding. Uh, I don't know. It's just about finding those no-name British actors who can fill this role whenever the actor, the main lead, gets tired of doing it. Yeah, and contriving more and more ways. Like, how are we going to get them to the parlor room again? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there's no, there's no contrivance. He says, "Get everyone together." <laughs> I'm gonna solve nice. this. <laughs> it's literally passed off in a cut. What are we all doing yeah. here? <laughs> why did, why did I come if I didn't know what was happening? <laughs> Excuse me, I was, I was booked here at four o'clock. I'm being accused of murder. <laughs> yeah. And again, we're gonna do it in the back parlor, not you know a courtroom with yeah, you course. know <laughs> evidence and data and things like that. No, of nope. course not. That would be boring. What is this, Law and Order? Come on. Yeah. Yep. John, let me tell you what's not boring. Okay, go. It changes every day. Oh, yeah? Sometimes for the better, mostly for the worse. <laughs> are people addicted to it? I hope it's addictive. They, they are. They are. Um, it's a public health crisis. We should probably oh. get the, the DSMM, the DSM-5 or whatever on it. Okay. Is that the new edition? Are yes, they on five they're on or? five. They're currently on Nice. Five. Yes, nice. Oh, you're so brilliant, Greg. Good job. Uh, yeah. You, picked, and you, can get you more... picked the right number out of ten. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can get more brilliant insights like that <laughs> on our social media pages, including Facebook and Twitter, but not Instagram. No. Not Bebo. Not MySpace. Not friends. We'll get to them eventually. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just the two of us. I mean, We just got to grow our brand. Just got to yeah. grow that brand. But again, those are a little uh, big, vague, and impersonal. Mm-hmm. 
So if you do want to get in touch with us directly, we have an email address. Mm-hmm. You can reach out to us at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com with your comments, your recommendations, your reviews, your thoughts. Which which is nice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if... And we'll be happy to answer them. But if you could do a favor for us. Yes. I mean, if, if you're going to reach out to us, at least do this for us first. Go to your podcast platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM, whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, write that... Click that write a review button. Yes. Drag that cursor all the way to the right. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Click on the five stars, you know, and then more people will find us. Again, this way we don't have to take precious resources away from UNICEF, who did offer to help us aid. Exactly. Um, <laughs> to get to get us uh, those good reviews, to get us those faves. Where are so, the charities out there getting needing people the likes and subscribes that they need? The valuable internet currency of attention. Yeah. Well, that's UNICEF's new... Uh, Initiative. You may have seen it in the email, like you know, help help Katie twenty nine oh five get her uh, makeup tutorials off the ground. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Again, only only five likes and two dislikes Ugh. on this on this on this uh, eight hundred view video. Come on, we can do better. It's we can do better, people. Yep. Yeah. I was watching a YouTube video and it had like only a thousand views, and I was like, oh, I don't know yeah. if he's getting paid for this. This is sad. <laughs> I know. Won't you help XX? POTUS 69XX. <laughs> but Greg, enough jollies. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to get serious. Yeah. What are we watching oh, yeah, next yeah. week? Well, it, it gets very serious. Mm. This is this is serious film snobbery here, Johnny. You ready? Bring the room down. Let's go. It's, of course, the 1960 French New Wave classic, Breathless. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. John, everything is going to change. The, the, the whole society is going to explode at this. Whoa. I mean, jump cuts. What? <laughs> Lit the world on fire. Indeed. And now, you and I have never seen it before. No. Even though I, I technically went to film school. <laughs> My name's Greg. I went to film yeah. school. I know what I'm talking Indeed. about. Or at least I like to think I do. <laughs> Greg, hey, if you can't be It's called Aspiring Snobs, right. but this is a podcast for the people. They're for plebeians like me. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And if you can't be right, at least sound like you're right. <laughs> okay. That's, the, that's my philosophy. Okay. That's Greg's, that's Greg's point of view of life. <laughs> but anyway, you can look forward to that next week. Yes. In the meantime, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. Oh, that was bad. Was oh, okay, that? <laughs> sorry. I'm terrible at accents. All right. Uh, and until next time, keep aspiring. Qu'ils sont